Hey, Age Sisters, just a quick heads up. This is our very first podcast episode, and my audio sounds a tiny bit tinny, but rest assured, our fantastic guest, Janie Lee Grace, sounds amazing. Enjoy. Hey everyone and welcome to the Age Sister Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Milne, and today we're going to be talking about a really important health issue for women in midlife. We're going to be talking about alcohol use and sobriety. So I'm joined by Janie Lee Grace. Janie is a BBC radio presenter. She's also the author of five books, including the new Happy Healthy Sober, with that great tagline, Ditch the Booze and Take Control of Your Life. Janie also runs the Sober Club, which is a community for the sober and sober curious, where they focus on optimal health and well-being. Janie's also a TEDx speaker, and she gave this fantastic talk that I highly recommend going and checking out called Sobriety Rocks. And Janie herself is over three years sober. Welcome, Janie. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Oh, so great to have you here. So I wanted to ask you just maybe to tell us a little bit about your journey, just how you came to doing what you're doing today. Sure. Well, I um, I should probably start by saying I didn't ever have a rock bottom moment. Um, and I think when you start talking about alcohol, everyone assumes that that must have meant that you were in the gutter um, and, you know, needing rehabilitation. And that most certainly was not the case. Um, in Certainly in the UK, there's this kind of idea that there are two types of drinkers. There are those who are absolutely at rock bottom, needing, you know, needing help, clinically dependent, needing help. And then there's everyone else, just happy social drinkers who every now and then can't hold their beer. But actually, the reality is very different. And we now know the term is gray area drinkers. And that's the majority of people. In fact, it's people who drink more than they want to. They're not at rock bottom. They still function just fine. They hold down jobs and they get on with their life. But many of them, just like me, wake up every single day at 3 a.m., hating themselves or whatever time. Um, and that was my story. I was kind of queen of, of holistic well-being. Here's the irony, you know, right here that I was... Um, I've been working in this kind of arena of natural health and well-being for years. I've written four books on the topic and done countless talks and I run a website. And I'm, I'm queen of natural health. And yet there I was, you know, boozing every single day. I mean, every day. Um, and stepping around this kind of massive elephant in the room. So something had to change. And it took a long, long time before I realized that alcohol was the issue. Um, I tried every other thing. Uh, imaginable every therapy going every treatment going I, I blamed it on absolutely everything my my dis-ease if you like my my the fact that I was overweight the fact that I was bloated miserable anxious um you know stress just all of these things I put down to just getting older and just the way it is and I just tried every therapy every diet going everything but as I say you know in my book if only someone had just told me 
how freaking fantastic it is to to be sober. I'd have done that a lot earlier. Um, but most people don't talk about that. They 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 consider that if you if you rock up to a, a doctor in the UK or a therapist or a practitioner, and you are brave enough to tell them that you're a little bit worried about your drinking, usually the answer will be, well, sounds pretty normal. A few drinks a night sounds normal. Just have an alcohol free day. And that's what I was told for years, years and years and years. And that kept me stuck in the alcohol trap. Why, why do you think that it's such a taboo subject, that it's the last thing we want to go to when we think about our health? Mm. Well, I think that um, it's because it's so normalized in our culture. It's the societal glue that sticks everything together. Um, and certainly for women, um, you know, we've kind of been brought along for the ride for a good number of years so that it's infiltrated every bit of our world. So, you know, if you're a young mum and you want to meet other mums, you know, play dates are stuck together with with alcohol. You know, sports events, every, everything is stuck with alcohol. Commiserations, celebrations. I tried to buy a birthday card for my 21-year-old son. I mean, there was not one on the shelves that didn't have a picture of, of, of alcohol on their birthday card, for God's sake. So it, it's because it's everywhere in our society, because it's legal, um, because it's, you know, there's that phrase, isn't there? Alcohol is the only drug you have to justify not taking. So you are seen as the odd one out if you don't drink. I mean, fortunately, the tide is turning. You know, we can talk about that later. The tide is definitely turning. But for many years, you were seen as the odd one out. You were seen as something wrong with you if you stopped drinking. When you stop smoking, everyone goes, wow, well done you. That's so so cool. But if you stop drinking, people say, oh, dear, how bad did it get? How awful for you that you can't just have one? I can just have one. What a shame you can't just have one. Well, of course, now I would say, why the hell would I want one? <laughs> why would I want any amount of completely toxic liquid? Because let's not sugarcoat it. It is. You know, it is a drug. It, I mean, in fact, it's the number one most harmful drug. And that's been proven when you take into account all other factors. So not just harm to the individual, but to the economy and the, and the you know, the health scene and, and relationships and everything else. Um, so, you know, we've, we've, all been, we've all been brainwashed and I was absolutely brought into that. We've all got, we have those kind of booze goggles on, those rose-coloured spectacles that make us think that at the end of a busy day when we're stressed and anxious, alcohol is the answer. So true. Do you think that there's something to be said about what people can't see on the other side of sobriety? Could you maybe tell me about what are some of the myths about sobriety? Mm, that's a, such a great question because it's what keeps people stuck. You see, for years and years, if I thought about stopping drinking, well, number one, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I tried many times. I couldn't understand why in the middle of the night when I got this voice in my head telling me this has to stop. It's not authentic with who you are. You must stop this now. I would always sort of vow to myself, all right, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping drinking. By six o'clock the next night, you know, the voice of the wine, which was in my head saying, oh, go on, just have one. It'd, be, it'd all be good, you know. Um, and of course, then, uh, you know, it's actually very, very difficult if you if your mindset isn't in the right place to just stop. Very difficult because alcohol is addictive and because of all the associations that we have with it. So, you know, the myths are that when you stop drinking, you will be boring. You know, sober anagram of bores. 
it could not be further from the truth. It's it's drunk people that are boring. Ever noticed how often they say the same thing over and over? Um, you know, slur their words and etc. So people think they're going to be boring. People get concerned that they'll never that they'll lose their friendships, that they won't be able to you know um, have fun with friends again. And again, that's just it, it's a really interesting thing. This sort of um, concern of the sober shamers if you know we sometimes call them the actual reality is that most people if they really are your friends um after the initial perhaps surprise or shock um will probably salute you and may even share with you that they'd really quite like to do it too um but having said that there may be some friendships that do fall by the wayside because if you were only ever drinking buddies and you had nothing in common then it's going to be tough it is going to be tough, um, but it's nothing to be afraid of because, you know, there's that lovely phrase and I don't know the exact words, but it's something like, um, uh, you know, as you as you as you grow, the people that don't grow with you will just naturally fall away. You won't have to agonize over how you push them off. They'll just naturally fall away. And I really think that's true. I think, you, you know, you, once you once you stop drinking, literally the world opens up for you. And there are so many benefits. And it's not just your skin's clearer and your hair's better. Well, lockdown hair notwithstanding. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's not just the obvious things. It's so much more than that. Year on year on year, so much more than that. So you do actually blossom in so many ways. And, yeah, there might be some relationships that don't come along for the ride, but mostly they do. Yeah, I, I wonder sometimes about, and I've been asked this before because I've had long periods of uh, sobriety because I'm a runner, so I take time off to do events. Um, and sometimes people will say to me, well, how do you punctuate the week? And I think about this a lot during the pandemic. How are people punctuating the week? Are they using alcohol to say, okay, it's now the weekend and that's different mm. than what I've been doing for the last five days. Mm. Yeah, very good point. And, and you're absolutely right. People use alcohol. Um, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? How we think that this toxic liquid in a glass is going to be the thing that makes us feel completely relaxed. Oh, unless we want to feel really perked up and confident, in which case apparently it can do that too. Funny that, right? <laughs> Of course, it does none of those things. What it does is, is it's our associations and our associations, which are very deep rooted, are that, you know, alcohol is, is what makes us feel glamorous or chilled or relaxed or happy or grown up or time away from the kids if we're busy parents or, or whatever it might be. It's all the associations. And when we reach for a drink, we're not really reaching for a drink. It's not the alcohol we want. We're reaching for the feeling. So if we can find out what the feeling is and actually challenge ourselves as to what is the feeling, we can go after that in a far healthier way. Of course, it's a lovely idea to, to put something in place that denotes you, your end of your working day, start of your weekend or whatever. But there are way healthier ways to do it that actually are self-care. I used to think my glass of Sauvignon was self-care or one or two or three, but it so was not. I, it, that was, it was actually self-harm. You know, and, and most people who are drinkers, they're not actually very good at taking care of themselves. You know, certainly when I was drinking, I did not like myself very much at all. You know, very low self-esteem because you're drinking all the time. It's very difficult to to really equate that with with self-love and self-esteem. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm wondering if you worry at all about the pandemic and the level of drinking that's going on. Yeah. At this point. Oh, massively. Yeah, it's been it's been really, really difficult in the UK. A lot of people have um, I mean, the drinking has ramped up massively. I haven't actually seen recent studies, um, but I do know that it's it's ramped up massively. People have started drinking earlier in the day and then, um, you know, there's there's no there's no rules around it they haven't bothered to put their own rules around it anymore so it is it is really worrying what's also worrying is that you know i run the sober club we have a you know community of people who've who are looking to get healthy and it's underpinned by the sobriety and of course people are at different levels but there's been lots of people who um you know we kind of didn't hear from them and then it's like okay what's going on and then they come back and they say well i i was doing so well i did a few months sober and i was feeling fantastic and then the pandemic hit the anxiety i'm having to homeschool my kids and everything else and um and so i went back to it so it has been um, yeah, it's been a terrible time for that. Um, on the other hand, though, there have been some people who've used that time to, to you know, to focus on their own well-being. Um, and, and a few of, of the Sober Club members have used this time to properly ditch the booze, properly start some, you know, put some new neural pathways in place and start to create some, uh, some different life things for themselves really and and that's been amazing to see too i love this idea the sort of um a bit more of fluidity around sobriety the way that you talk about the sober curious for instance Mm. and it seems to me like the younger generation of people maybe um you know kids sort of 18 to 25 have a different approach to alcohol. I noticed mm. in your book that you um, gave a dedication to your kids and it made me mm. think, how do you speak to your kids about alcohol? What do you recommend to them about the use of alcohol or do you do you recommend that they remain completely sober? Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one and, and I don't actually think there is a definitive yeah. on this. It has to be, it, you know, it has to fit your family. Um, and of course, you know, who am I to say this? You know, I had years of being a parent drinking. I mean, that, that literally is my only regret. I only have one regret, and that is that I didn't do this sooner. I so wish I could have been there, you know, properly present for the bedtime stories rather than wanting to, you know, go and, go and get a glass of wine. I hate that. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, they've seen me drink too much, obviously, for years, Um their kids are pretty resilient. I do believe that. But but how do we deal? How do we deal with it? Well, you know, I think the best thing you can do is is lead by example. It really is that modelling of behaviour, and also having open discussions about stuff. I think when it's secretive, then it really becomes a problem. Um, so I think bringing it out into the open as early as possible with 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 kids is the answer. I did this great interview with a guy, uh, a guy called Professor Eric Sigman. Mm who is an American guy, uh, but he lives in the UK. And, and, and he was saying, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, that they have right in the States. And I don't know about Canada, but in the States, you have to be 21 before you can legally buy alcohol in a bar. Now, of course, that's not the same in the UK. And he was saying, well, 
that's that's the exact right age because until we're 21 22 our brains are not fully full mm-hmm. so he said you know if nothing else make sure that your young people realize that you know because there is an element of okay well maybe i've chosen to do it but hey you know what my brain's fully formed yours isn't <laughs> so there's that kind of factual piece and you know he he talks about he does lots of work in schools and he talks about it um you know a, a little bit like um you know the way he talks about um, kids using computers for hours on end and, and, and you know, electromagnetic frequencies and stuff. It's a bit like sun ex- exposure. You can have too much, right? Um, and so, you know, I think there are some kind of factual pieces that it's a really good idea to make sure kids understand. And then after that, the, the best thing is, is just to model the behavior. And there's no doubt about it. If they see you drinking every single day, of course they think it's completely normal and reasonable. But you know, the thing is, some people have got an off switch, right? I am not saying that I believe in prohibition. Mm. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm really not. Um, I, I would just love it to be as normal to choose not to drink as to choose to drink rather than the bizarre state of affairs we have now, whereby you are odd if you choose not to drink. I'd like it to be entirely equal. And you are right, you know, a lot of young people, are they're a lot brighter than I was <laughs> um, when I was their age. A lot of millennials are choosing not to drink at all. And many young people are, are mindful. They're mindful drinkers, you know, it's that expression. Um, and I think part of the reason is because they do have much more um, concept of wellness than we than we did when we were their age of well-being of taking responsibility definitely the mental health piece comes in there a lot of young people have caught sight much quicker than we have of, of the link between alcohol and anxiety mm. and thank god you know that one generation is because ours certainly didn't um, but you know that needs to be addressed, and and also why waste all that money? Alcohol's expensive, for God's sake. Why would you list, literally throw away that that money? So I think for those reasons, um, they are more conscious, and 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 that definitely helps. I love that idea of modeling the behavior, you know, because I think a mm. lot of us grew up with parents that you know drinking was completely normalized, yeah. and it was just part of the culture. Yeah. And so it becomes those um, habitual things like punctuating the week with the drink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I think you know we we need to we need to uh, sort of um, encourage young people and, and and kids to to embrace their emotions, to accept their emotions. None of us are very good at this, you know. Most of us are kind of emotionally immature really because if we started drinking in our late teens or early 20s every single goddamn life experience has been done through the lens of booze you know and I think back my you know the first time my heart was broken the first you know everything everything someone's death you go and drink you know a wedding you go and drink it's just it's everything every time you feel really anxious or or worried or frightened you reach for a drink every time you're celebrating something wonderful you reach for a drink so we we never really get used to just accepting our emotions and being able to be with our emotions and once you stop drinking you have to I mean that sounds really terrifying but actually the reality is you become much more resilient much more resilient so that you can actually accept, okay, do you know what? I am feeling massively stressed here or massively anxious and it's okay. It's okay. Let's have a look at it. 
Let's see what it's trying to bring me. Let's see what I can do to deal with that. Or do I need support? You know, there's always there's always another way. The answer is never, you know, oh, I feel anything other than perfectly fine. Reach for a drink. What do you think about, I, I love the way that you talk about alcohol in such frank terms, that it is a toxic substance, that we're, we're taking this material into our body that's essentially poisonous. What kind of reception do you get when you talk about alcohol in that way? Well, I mean, my approach is I'm completely non-judgmental mm -hmm. because I'm absolutely not telling anyone they shouldn't drink. If you're, you know, the question that I always ask people, and this is how I started my TED Talk, was I, I try and encourage people to ask themselves, could my life be better physically and emotionally without the booze? Now, for some people, the answer is, no, I'm good. And I totally 100% respect that. Absolutely no problem. There are some people who can have, you know, one drink on a, a Saturday and then not even think about having a drink for three weeks. Or maybe they'll, you know, then maybe they have a, I don't know, a glass of champagne at a wedding. And then if there isn't another wedding for a year, who cares? It's, it's just not, it's, it's not a thing for yeah. them. It's not, it's not an issue, right? So they, their answer to that question would be no. But there's a huge number of people who, when you say, be honest, could your life be better physically and emotionally without the booze? Mm -hmm. Immediately, it's hell yes. Yeah. And they're the people that I really believe need the straight talking because I needed it and no one ever gave it to me. No doctor, no practitioner, no healer, no friend ever said to me, you know what? Life is absolutely amazing without this toxic drug. And let's not sugarcoat it on account of it is. And it is responsible for 200 different illnesses and God knows how many cancers. And as you get older, it will affect you. And for women particularly, you know, you're thinking of trying to rock the menopause. Well, not with alcohol, you won't. You know, you're thinking of dealing with anxiety. Well, are you going to just load in the antidepressants or are you going to check your drinking levels first? You know, and on and on. Um, so I, I do think we need um, two sides of the of the coin, as it were. We need to know the logic. We need the logical piece, the facts around alcohol, which I was never given. And, and I was so I mean, when I look back, I find it a little bit incredulous, actually, that a relatively bright person definitely knowing everything about natural health and well-being. And yet I, I had blinkers on when it came to alcohol. I just used to love it when I read those pieces in the press that said, oh, a glass of red wine is good for your heart. Of course, I wouldn't read on to the bottom of the piece where it says, you know, must be in moderation and don't drink every day. Oh, forget that. They're telling me alcohol is good for me. Perfect. I just had blinkers on. Um, it was a total disconnect. So I do think that people need to be reminded of the actual truth and the actual facts. OK. But then in addition, my take on it all is, Yes, please get the facts, but here's the much more important bit, the motivation, the inspiration that life is so much better without any, no one ever told me that. Probably because they didn't know. It's not their fault. They didn't know. And, you know, it makes me think of what you said in your TED Talk, and I've heard it before from uh, John Hari, who talks about this as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Opposite of addiction is oh, connection. I, you know what? That has always really stuck with me. And yet, mm. the really interesting thing is people think that the connection is through alcohol, right? 
Yes, I know. Well, because alcohol for some of us has been our longest relationship. Yeah. And we actually think of alcohol as half our friend. How sad is that, really? Mm. Really, it's sad. And, and, and we manage to have these conversations with ourselves of, oh, you know, I'll get through this if I just have my, you know. And, and it's, it, you know, the addictive voice is a real thing. It's a real thing. And I was just fascinated when I came across studies of, of the addictive voice. It was first, the term was first coined by this US social worker called Jack Trimpe. He wrote this groundbreaking book. He was so ahead of his time um, called Rational Recovery. And he identifies the addictive voice. Not everyone has it. Not everyone has it. And that's why you need connection with someone who understands. I, there wasn't anyone I could tell. I thought I was going nuts. I remember saying to therapists or practitioners, I've got a voice in my head. It tells me to go and finish the bottle of wine. I don't even want any more wine. But the voice tells me to go and have it. And I do. I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about myself. And short of telling me, you know, that maybe I had some kind of entity and, you know, there was some spiritual cleansing needed, nobody knew what to say to me because they didn't have it. But some of us do, right? But the good news is you can work with it and tame it and get rid of it, <laughs> just like you can get rid of your limiting beliefs. And, of course, a lot of these things are, you know, very connected. Um, it comes down to, you know, recognising that... Um, you can change. You can change. You can go after what you want, but you have to catch sight of that better life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I He talks about another thing that I guess I'd like to hear your opinion on because it always struck me as so important to hear that sometimes we do these things because we can't stand to be present in our own life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. Well, yes, exactly. That's that's what I was saying about this. The fact that we don't we don't feel comfortable with our own feelings. Mm. Um, it, 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 we don't, you know, if if an emotion is a, a happy, pleasant one, beautiful, bring it on. But if it's anything other than that, we want to numb out straight away. And and it's this think feel act cycle. You know, we have this a thought. Um, if the thought is uncomfortable or we're feeling stressed or anxious or fearful or frustrated or jealous, whatever that emotion is, it's what feeling do we really want? You know, we want to feel better. And then immediately our unconscious mind tells us, oh, I know how you can do that. You can reach for a drink. That will take the edge off everything. And so we, we're on autopilot. And what we have to do when we choose to stop drinking, at least in the early stages, it gets much easier. But in the early stages, we have to actually be fully present and put the pause in. Actually put the pause in and take a break, take a pause and ask yourself, what's really going on? What? Write down the thought. What, what is it I really want here? And this is that, that lovely acronym HALT, uh, which stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. And you know what? You'll be amazed how many times that sorts it out for you. So when you have a craving to have a glass of wine or whatever your alcohol is, ask yourself, is it actually that I'm hungry? Often we are. Often we've just dipped our blood sugar level so low. We just need proper food. We don't need alcohol at all, just proper food. You know, am I angry? 
that's all the stuff we've been talking about? Is it actually just that someone's made us really furious or we're irritated or we've had a ridiculously mad day or, you know, we're just frustrated? In which case, there are many other ways of dealing with anger that are going to be far healthier than reaching for, for, for booze, you know, which is a depressant. That's not, you know, let's admit that it is a depressant. So if you are fearful or feeling down, it will make you feel worse. Am I lonely? That comes back to the connection. Again, that's a big one. You can be lonely even if you have people around you, if you if you don't have the uh, you know somebody that connects with you and on your level. Um, and then the fourth one, am I tired? And again, I remember that I used to carry on working and then I'd, I'd be craving a, a glass of wine. So I'd go and have a glass of wine. That would give me second wind. And then I could keep working for another three hours. I mean, how ridiculous. If you're tired, go to bed. You know, in the early weeks, I'd just say, treat yourself to some, you know, lovely PJs and, and a scented candle and, and a gratitude journal and go to bed, whatever the hell time. Who cares? I love it. It's so, so many great recommendations. And just, I think this is such an important topic for women to hear. It's one we don't talk about enough. Um, mm. Well, it's true. What do you, just while we wrap up here, I just want to ask you about any other key takeaways that you'd want our listeners to know. Any recommendations? Um, yeah, I can tell you that my mantra is keep the ritual, change the ingredients. Mm. And that's such an important one. And the reason is that, um, you know, if I'd have been trying to do this certainly 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, it would have been much harder. And the reason is that, you know, um, most of us do have, you know, you talk about sort of denoting the end of the week or the end of the busy day. And we do have little rituals that we enjoy, whether that's sitting with a partner or a friend and, and having a drink, whether it's pouring a drink while we do at the cooking, whether it's Sunday lunch that always has to have a drink with it, whether it's um, having a bath with a candle and a glass of wine, whatever those rituals are, many of us have them and the associations are with alcohol, right? Now, my take on this is don't do everything at once. Don't, don't stop all your rituals because if you do, your little inner toddler, your unconscious mind will say, well, now this is absolute rubbish. You, everyone's having their lovely sparkly drinks and I've got this crappy cup of tea or this warm orange juice. I don't think so. This is not good. I don't feel good. And then you will immediately say, well, I'm worth it. I deserve more and you'll reach for alcohol. So the answer is prep ahead and have exactly the same ritual, beautiful glasses, you know, nice healthy snacks if you want them, um, but have something alcohol-free in your glass. And this is now so much easier than it was 10 years ago. I mean, in the UK, the alcohol-free drinks market has gone bonkers. I mean, everything from artisan tonics through kombuchas, which I know in Canada, you've always been way ahead of us for years, but in the UK, we're just about catching on to kombucha, um, through to alcohol-free uh, fizzers, beautiful, beautiful fizz, um, amazing botanical spirits. I mean, amazing. Um, and, and so you can make incredible cocktails, alcohol-free cocktails. So the choice is huge. So don't do that depriving yourself thing. The amount of clients, I've had clients, one-to-one -one clients, and I'll say, right, let's talk about how you're going to prep then. 
for your evening ahead because you do need your sober toolkit. You do have to put your prep in because if you don't, it'll come to six o'clock and the wine witch will have a word and then you'll be gone again. So do your prep. And they'll often say to me, oh, no, it's fine. I'm good. I'm good with uh, with tea or I'm, I'm good with water. I'm happy with water. You know what? I don't think you will be for long. You will start to feel deprived. It's perfectly natural and normal to want a grown-up nice alcohol-free drink. What's wrong with wanting a nice grown-up drink? Nothing wrong with that. It's perfectly fine. Of course, the kids, many of the kids want their Coke and their orange juice. Adults don't. We don't want a sweet sugary drink, right? We want something that's more grown-up, in inverted commas, not sweet, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, artisan taste. And, and there are millions of them. And if, and if you're worried that, oh, well, if I have an alcohol-free beer, it might make me want beer, well, have, have a botanical spirit then. Because it's, it's not about what's, you know, what's in the glass. It's about the feelings that it brings you. So it's about the, you know, the fact that we pour, a, you know, if I were to offer you, I don't know if wine's your thing, but, you know, and I work with people for whom a glass of Sauvignon Blanc or something is their, their thing. And they're, oh, wow, you know, wouldn't that be amazing? And they've, they've built it up in their mind as this fabulous thing they're going to have at the end of the day. Um, and then, you know, I kind of make a joke with them and I say, well, OK, so, you, you know, you really, you really want this, this glass of, uh, of Sauvignon Blanc? Like, oh, God, yeah, I really need it right now. And then I say, well, uh, yeah, OK, no problem. You can have it oh, I've only got an old bottle that's been in the garage a few months. So it's kind of warm and I'm not sure if it, I'm sure it'd be absolutely fine, but I don't have any glasses. But I've got a, a paper cup that I had at lunchtime the other day. It's a bit cracked. It's a bit cracked, but I think I can keep the white. It's not a problem. Here you go, here you go, here you go. So you've got this warm, warm booze that's been in the garage for six years in a cracked paper cup. Do you still want it? I don't think so. Because it never was the alcohol you wanted. It was the feeling. It was the associations. So what you want is the nice cold quality, so you think, liquid in a nice glass served in a nice environment. You don't actually want to sit on a park bench and swig something really nasty from the bottle. You never mm. did. So it's not the alcohol. I love that. I love the idea of keeping the ritual, but just change the, the liquid or change the, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. That's such a great way to think about it. Well, thank you so much um, for coming on the Age Sister podcast today. I really appreciate it. Where could our listeners find out more about your work? Yeah, so um, if they just go to thesoberclub.com, um, that's the website where there's some blog posts and competitions and various things. And then within that, there's a kind of membership portal if anyone wants to join our community. I mean, both with the Sober Club and with the book, with Happy Healthy Sober, it's really aimed at someone who is day one sober curious or sober six years. It really doesn't matter. And I know people think, well, how can you cater for both? And you really can, because my take on it is that, you know, yes, I'm going to inspire you and encourage you and teach you in inverted commas how to ditch the booze. But once you've done that part, then it's when everything else starts to open up. So the book includes just masses of content around all the other lifestyle changes that you're going to go on to do. Maybe not all at once. And the Sober Club's exactly the same. You know, we have expert guests on everything, everything to do with health and well-being because it's all about the what's next. 